Welcome to the European Lens with me, Francis Fitzgerald. Throughout the series, we're going to look at the issues dominating the conversation in the European Parliament, and hopefully we'll bring you closer to the arguments, closer to the action, and closer to the issues that impact you every day. Today, we're discussing the rule of law in the European Union. What exactly is meant by the rule of law? Why has it become so topical recently? What common breaches have we seen? And are we going to see EU sanctions in future? Later on, we'll be joined by Marek Belka. Marek is a colleague of mine in the European Parliament. He's a former Polish Prime Minister. And so he gives a unique insight into the rule of law issues in his native Poland at present. We'll also get the perspective of the former EU Commissioner Vivian Reding. First, though, I spoke to Rona McRae, Professor of Constitutional European Law at University College London. Ronan, what exactly do we mean when we say the rule of law in the context of the European Union? What does the phrase mean? Where did it come from? In general, the rule of law is one of the basis of liberal, liberal democracy. And the idea is that the state, uh, the authority of the state comes from rules, not from people. So it's the opposite of Louis XIV's idea when he said, l'état c'est moi, I am the state, that the rulers make the rules, but the rules then are what governs us. It's not people, it's laws. And what that needs, uh, particularly in the European Union context, is for to have judicial independence. Because if the rules are going to be meaningfully separate from our rulers, then they need to be interpreted by an independent body. And in the EU, that's particularly important because a lot of, you know, the EU is a tiny bureaucracy. It's about 30,000 people work for the Commission. It, if EU law is going to be upheld, it needs to be upheld by national courts. And that needs, needs judges need to be independent enough of their governments to uphold uh, EU law against them. And it also means that uh, in the EU, we depend on civil servants and judges to uphold EU law. So that means that we often, in EU law, involves a duty on one country to recognise the decisions of another country. And that's something that we need independent judges for. So that is why the European Union says that it's it's business if the rule of law is not being, um, if the judicial independence of the rule of law are not being upheld by other member states. And has there been much of a problem in relation to upholding the rule of law across the different member states? In recent years, there has been, particularly in Hungary and Poland, uh, and also lesser extent elsewhere, but especially in Hungary and Poland. So uh, what we've seen a lot of things like uh, in Hungary, seven or eight years ago, they, they, uh, the government precipitously dropped the age of retirement for judges in order to kind of clear out the judiciary and put other people in. Uh, they have introduced a mechanism f- for uh, p- the promotion of judges and um, the uh, uh, a case allocation that was politicized. The woman who um, was placed in uh, he- the, the head of the body that promotes judges and allocates cases is the wife of a member, an, um, uh, an MEP from Viktor Orban's party. Uh, in Poland, we've seen things like the um, the, the, in the, when, the, when the, the current government won the election, they rescinded the appointment of judges to the Constitutional Tribunal, put in their own people. They dropped the retirement age for the Supreme Court judges, but said that they could stay on if the president allowed them to. They've established a disciplinary chamber that can discipline and fire judges that make rulings that the government doesn't like. So all of these have had a cumulative effect of undermining judicial independence in Hungary and Poland. And... Uh, now, the European Commission and the European Court of Justice have been trying to actively trying to trying to um, push back on that uh, with, with with some success, 
but limited success so far. Now, Vivian Redding is with us next. Vivian, you have huge experience uh, as a parliamentarian, as a commissioner in EU affairs. And I wanted to begin by asking you, why do you think this is happening now, Vivian? What's causing this? Well, I think that some of our member states, the newcomers, are mistaken concerning uh, what democracy means. Uh, they think uh, still in this top-down uh, um, autocratic uh, way and if there is an autocrat, he can bend the rules as he wants. So they haven't understood that we are based on treaties and values which are commonly accepted and implemented. So it is not about making a mistake, but it is about voluntary wanting to destroy our democratic values. And how does the EU control uh, breaches like this? What should we do? What should the EU do? Well, uh, first, I, I would like to tell you that we are not used to uh, breaches like this because the general uh, thinking on which our treaties are based is that once a country uh, who is joining our union, this country is our right with its structures concerning the rule of law. And then it can only become better. We have not foreseen that somebody is going a step back. Uh, nobody ever thought that would be possible. So what are our means? Um, if a member state does not respect the treaty, the commission launches an infringement procedure. Uh, while I was commissioner, I have done that several times against the government of Orban, and um, the court always gave me right. But this takes time, so it is not very efficient if after two or three years the court says yes, the commission is right, and uh, so on and so forth. The second element, and that you know perfectly well because you have been working on this, is the annual rule of law report, where all member states are analysed in uh, how they are functioning concerning the implementation of rule in law in everyday life. Um, and um, the third one, and this is the one which is on the agenda in this moment, is that um, the huge amounts of money, taxpayer money, which is uh, given to the member states uh, for, um, for health, for education, for economics, for agriculture, you name it, you get it. Um, they are not coming out of a cash machine, but they will need to have a rule of law conditionality. And exactly this is now what is blocking uh, the European budget um, because uh, countries like Hungary and Poland are blocking the budget because they do not want to have a rule of law conditionality. Everybody knows why, because they are completely behaving against the rules all the time. Do you think this sort of conditionality or sanction will work, Vivian? Will they eventually abide by it? I, I believe that the only way you can bring people like this to reason is to stop the cash machine because uh, they are very eager to get a lot, a lot of money from the taxpayers, but they do not want to live in a rules-based society 
and to exercise solidarity. So the only way for them to understand that we don't agree with them is to um, not to, to give them the money they want. We heard a lot there from both Ronan and Vivian about the rule of law issues in both Poland and Hungary. I want to take a closer look at the Polish situation. I am joined now by Marek Belka, a Polish MEP. He's the former Prime Minister of Poland and former Finance Minister as well and former Head of the National Bank of Poland. Uh, Marek, we've been talking a lot in the European Parliament about Poland and given your long experience in Polish politics, I'm interested in how you view the situation at the moment. How serious do you think the rule of law situation is in uh, Poland at present? Well, it's notable that the whole discussion about Poland is not about Polish economy or the problems of the Polish uh, financial standing or something like this. What is being discussed very hotly is the uh, situation, the political situation, and more notably the major breaches of the rule of law in my country. It started basically in 2015 with the ascent of the far-right government led by uh, Jarosław Kaczyński. And it's continuing uh, at a very high speed. What is interesting is that these issues are normally not very excited for, uh, let's say, average, uh, average person in the country. I mean, constitutional tribunal or even Supreme Court are things uh, rather remote uh, from the uh, livelihoods of of people. However, well, quite recently we have realized, or the people have realized, uh, that when you have constitutional tribunal uh, tightly controlled by the by the government, by the by the ruling party then it can issue judgments uh, that impinge on human rights that uh, that basically are are designed to please current political interests of the ruling party and not the interests of the society are polish citizens more engaged in the debate now much more than it used to be years ago well when the life was sort of normal, even boring. We were growing at, at almost at Irish speed, so to say, and um, or even better. Uh, so the people uh, were not really eager to, to engage in politics, in civil society activities. It has changed dramatically recently because the people are, are uh, gradually, um, let's say, uh, realizing that, that Politics is about them, not about uh, some abstract uh, uh, things in the capital. What's the main thing that's brought this uh, engagement from the Polish citizens? As you say, it's just over the last few years. It's, it's a very interesting phenomenon. For um, most of the, of the period when we have this uh, far-right government, uh, this was the protest... Uh, coming from the educated urban population who were uh, shocked by judiciary being uh, dominated by by politics, uh, by uh, constitution being twisted and, and broken in an outright way. 
but then it turned into well first it was women or younger women who reacted to plans to to tighten even a very tight abortion law it was a few years ago and quite recently we had an outburst of uh, of political activity and and ngos and and uh, civil society activities connected to this uh, hapless judgment of the so-called uh, constitutional tribunal that established that polish constitution does not allow abortion in any case in any case in the case the fetus is defective in the case the child born will not survive uh, one day because it's lethally ill in in the case of rape against women and and suddenly a uh, young generation reacted well the whole the whole the whole fuss about uh, rule of law is really about us it's nothing it's nothing abstract it's about us so so this this is a big change and it is shown for the first time in the in the opinion polls the popularity of the of PIS the the ruling party went down dramatically and if we had election now they would lose they would lose power Marek, what would be the impact if Poland was to lose EU funding because of this issue of the rule of law and this new approach around conditionality? Could Poland survive? Of course Poland would survive, but uh, in the case of our country, it's not about survival. It's about closing the gap between us and uh, and the most advanced uh, European country. We have basically halved the gap between us and let's say the proverbial germany uh, between uh, between the beginning of transition and now poland is not poor country anymore and it used to be a country very well managed both economically i can attest to it uh, but also uh, also politically and uh, what is very important for poland is geopolitically to avoid finding itself number one in a gray zone between germany and russia also historically and also having let's say no friends uh, this government ignores the fact that we have friends that european union is a union of friends and germany which is so important for us is our main partner advocate and ally if the funds are withdrawn Polish growth would uh, would slow down still being in the European Union we are, have access to the uh, to the common market which is by the way much more important than the funds Poland will not go belly up but it will slow down its growth and closing the gap between us and the most developed countries in Europe will be basically negated this is about prospects of Poland It's a fascinating time in Poland, Marek. I mean, do you see Poland being blighted by the rule of law question and these issues for many years to come? What what's your prediction over the next few years? If you speak with the with the lawyers, with the constitutionalists especially, which I am not. Uh they will say that uh, to undo the damage will take uh, 
quite a long time, maybe a decade. But, you know, I'm an economist, and my understanding of the law is more superficial, I must say, and instrumental. If this government is defeated, which is now quite probable in the next uh, opportunity, it's, which will not, uh, which we we may wait until 2023, but it may happen next uh, next year also. So if this government is defeated, then we may have a completely different dynamics. We may have distorted institutions, but the dynamics and the way these institutions are used will will be completely opposite. The judges in Poland, and there are like 14,000 of them. They still feel allegiance to law and not to power. And, and most, if not 95% of the, of the judgments of the sentences are, are fair. Well, 99.9% of judgments are fair and, and, and lawful. So if we, ha- if we do away with this government, if we do away with this toxic minister of justice, who is the main culprit, who is the real thug, then we may have a different dynamics. Those very people who are now gullible or opportunistically supporting the, the ruling uh, party may change, uh, may change uh, camps. Uh, the situation may change overnight. I have lived through it in 1989. I have seen how, how a communist system sort of broke down and uh, basically there was no one to defend it. This will happen also this time. Marek, we have many uh, valued Polish citizens in Ireland. What would your message be to them about the situation in Poland? Well, keep fingers crossed for us. If there is an election, go to the polls and vote properly, so to say. (laughs) If you want to stay in Ireland or anywhere else, well, be a good, faithful citizens of this country. Don't forget about Poland and don't forget about the European Union. Don't forget that we are now much closer to you in Ireland than it it was ever imaginable 20 or 30 years ago. Thank you. Back to Vivian Redding. Has it been a surprise to the other members of the EU to see what is happening in Poland and Hungary? Has this come as a shock? Uh, well, not to me, because I started already in the year 2012 uh, to bring uh, Orban uh, to, to the court uh, on, on misbehaving on, on rules, independence of the judiciary, independence of the data protection agency, independence of the, um, uh, of the central bank. Uh, so there is some kind of... Uh, of habit uh, into this, but some member states always thought that if we are nice with them, um, uh, the problems will be solved. Unfortunately, being nice doesn't solve the problem. Could this cause Hungary and Poland to end up leaving the EU? Could this lead to the breakup of the EU, do you think, Vivian? Well, to speak frankly, uh, they get so much money uh, out of, uh, of the European Union for for Hungary, uh, the union is a cash cow. And uh, imagine what would do uh, the um, 
agricultural uh, community in Poland if they would not have the European money anymore. It would be a complete breakdown. So to my opinion, there is a very big game and a dangerous game which is played by these two member states. Is this one of the biggest crises you've seen in the European Union during your time? Oh, there were a lot of crises which we have seen and which we have all overcome uh, by solidarity. Uh, remember uh, the budget crisis, uh, which had uh, hit uh, Ireland very strongly. Remember uh, the bank savings, uh, saving which needed uh, to be put in place. Uh, so we, uh, but there was a real solidarity. Um, everybody was helping uh, to find a way out. Uh, so it is this solidarity uh, which is not there anymore uh, by uh, Hungarian government and by Polish government, because it's also wrong to say Hungary or Poland, because it's not the people. It is this uh, authoritarian uh, governments of those two countries who completely misbehave, not the citizens and not the people. Who needs to show leadership on this, uh, Vivian? Have you seen leadership on this in the EU? The only one who has shown leadership, I do believe, was the European Parliament. Uh, and also for me, uh, as a commissioner, when I needed help uh, in order to um, proceed with my actions against uh, the autocratic uh, governments and uh, also to raise my voice when others uh, followed uh, in this direction. I still remember Malta, I remember Romania. Um, uh, so I always got help from the European Parliament. The Council of Ministers was always much more prudent but I think the time has arrived now that also the Council of Ministers uh, says that uh, some of those people have gone a step too far. The problem, of course, is for the citizens of those countries, as you said, Poland and Hungary, um, if there was to be a, a breakdown in terms of financial support. Do you think the citizens there understand what is going on and why this is seen as so serious by the EU? The citizens are not informed because uh, there is no more free press, and most of all in Hungary, because the government of uh, Orban has eliminated uh, the free um, newspapers, the free radio stations, the free television stations. Journalists are not allowed to uh, write what they believe. They only can be his master's voice. I went back to Professor Rona McRae to explore how the current rule of law situation affects Ireland. Well, it's a threat to our democracy in terms that one of the lessons we see of the last kind of 10 years is that the national democracy and EU democracy can't fully be separated. It's because if you answer, you know, why is democracy important? Well, because in Ireland, we think the Oireachtas makes decisions for the Irish people, but actually the Oireachtas and the European legislature, the council, the parliament and the commission are the people who make laws for Ireland. So Irish democracy can't be fully separated out from uh, EU democracy. And if we have a, a union in which we have member states receiving large amounts of public money, which is also Irish taxpayers money, uh, who are not, uh, who don't have an independent judiciary, who can't uh, control how that money is properly 
how that money is spent. Or if in general, we have an ever growing number of member states who simply don't share the core values of liberal democracy that underpin the European Union, then our democracy is damaged. It doesn't mean we'll have a dictatorship in Ireland, but it does mean that our democracy is damaged because the legislature that makes partly makes our laws, the EU's legislature, will be made up of people who are not committed to democratic values. Ronan, do you think that Irish political parties uh, need to be more vocal about this issue? I think they do. Um, so I think the uh, Victor Orban's party is still in the European People's Party, although they've been suspended. And um, now he's, re- he's dramatically upped the stakes recently in threatening to b- block the whole EU budget if they pass a law um, that allows the EU to suspend funds to member states in breach of the rule of law. So that's, that's a huge upping of the stakes. Hungary and Poland are threatening to block not just the whole EU budget, but the coronavirus bonds, which has been the biggest advance for the EU in, in maybe in 10 years. So I think that uh, there is a degree to which this is the moment of truth. The EPP and Angela Merkel particularly, I think, need to be clear that if they, if they back down now, there'll never be any real progress on this issue. If they hold firm and they just introduce that law and then kind of dare Poland and Hungary to block the budget indefinitely, then I think we can get somewhere. But there is, there is a degree to which the European People's Party needs, uh, has, has allowed Viktor Orban's party to stay, even as they've undermined the rule of law. As they, uh, I worked part-time for the Central European University in Budapest. They've been expelled by, um, the, uh, by, by Fidesz, the Fidesz government from, from Hungary. And at the time, Manfred Weber said that this was a red line, but they've crossed the red line so often that I think they need to feel financial and political consequences probably more than they have now. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, the, the Finnish, Fine Gael have been quite good on this. Uh, the Finnish um, EPP party has been quite good on this. But the CSU in uh, 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 part of Angela Merkel's coalition, they've in general been quite protective of Fidesz. And I think they probably need to be faced down now because it's becoming a real problem for the whole for the whole of the EU. Perhaps because people are afraid of the breakup of the EU if they take it further. What do you think? I think they are. I think uh, well, and they're also afraid of the fact that the way things are, one member state. There, there's so many areas in EU law where individual member states still have a veto, including the budget, that um, they're afraid that one rogue member state can really paralyze EU decision making. However, we are lucky that both of the countries who are most problematic in this regard are big net recipients of EU finance. And that gives the EU kind of leverage over them that they wouldn't have if something similar was happening in Germany or a net contributor country like that. So they are worried and they're right because the EU system can be gummed up by a particular member state. However, I think in this instance, the EU has more leverage than it thinks. Can't see Poland and Hungary blocking budgets worth billions of euro to them indefinitely. They just need to stick to their guns and hold their nerve. And Ronan, finally, what is the best protection uh, for the rule of law in, in all our member states? You know, how do we ensure uh, that we protect this very important, basic uh, point about democracy? Well, one of the one of the kind of frustrating things really is that often it, it depends on good faith. Like if you read the constitution of Stalinist Russia, it would sound wonderful. You know, everyone had great rights and everything. It's just that we know that in principle, that in, in reality, it wasn't the case. So, and actually, you can see in Ireland with judicial independence, our system in principle is terrible, but in practice, it's fine. 
So in some way, it's political good faith. When that goes, it's much more different. And nothing we can do will rep- is as good as a good faith arrangement. But what we can do, which we haven't done yet, is impose serious political and financial consequences for departures from the rule of law. I think that's it's imperfect, but it's all we can do at the moment. Thanks to all of my guests for joining me on this episode. As you can see, the rule of law situation will continue to dominate EU discussions into the future. It's a difficult and challenging issue that goes to the heart of EU democracy and fundamental values. I hope the episode gave you insight into the issue now and what needs to be done to protect EU rule of law in future and how we're affected in Ireland. We'll be back soon with another episode of The European Lens. Until then, thanks for listening.